Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coffee House Questions. I am Ryan Pauly. Today, I want to discuss this idea of the gospel with you, and it's actually going to be in relation to some posts that I saw on Instagram. So, as you may notice, I have been spending a little bit more time on Instagram. I've been doing a little bit of uh, networking and, and advertising on there, and so I've been spending some more time looking through stuff. And one of the things that I did is I started following some hashtags, like hashtag podcast, hashtag apologetics, Christianity, and so that I can start to see things that people post in the areas that I work with and kind of see what other people are doing. And as you maybe can imagine, when you search or you follow the hashtag Christianity, you see everything that's post that someone thinks is Christianity. And I have been seeing some very interesting posts. And that is what I want to talk about today is I stumbled upon a prosperity gospel page that is putting out these messages, these very kind of encouraging messages, but also making it seem like scripture. And so I want to talk about these messages. I want to talk about what the true gospel is. I want to talk about how we can understand the promises of God and how we should relate this information to others without kind of being deceptive. So those are kind of the ideas that I have on my mind today. So we're going to jump right in. I hope you enjoy it. And again, thank you so much for joining me for downloading the show. I really do appreciate it. And I I love uh, hearing the people that are listening to it. And I hope it is an encouragement to you. It's a lot of fun for me. So as I mentioned, I've been spending this time on Instagram and I stumbled upon this one account that has these things. And so I actually want to read some of these posts that this account has made And I want to draw some conclusions from this, and I want to mention some important ideas. So uh, here's the first post. I feel a shift in the atmosphere. Some things that you have been praying for will be answered soon. Praise God. All right, there's the post. Now, in the beginning, this is, well, first off, it it is encouraging, right, that God's going to answer some prayers. But I do have a few little issues or little things that I would say. And this is one thing that just personally bothers me. I don't think it's necessarily wrong, so don't take it that way, but it's something that just bothers me a little bit. And I could be way off because I don't understand perfectly the intentions of the person saying it, but this is just how it comes across. And so for me, as someone who wants to speak clearly so that people are understanding what I mean by something, I try to use language that is not misunderstood. And so, hey, this is something that I sometimes misunderstand or maybe could come across weird. And so that's why I mention it. Maybe, hey, let's think about kind of the language that we use. So the first thing is this. I feel a shift in the atmosphere. I don't even know what that means. I don't know how you feel a shift in the atmosphere or how this shift is going to somehow tell you that prayers are going to be answered. Um, I I don't know this idea, but here's one thing that this brings up. And here's why I kind of mentioned that uh, just a second ago about, hey, I could be wrong, but here's what makes me think. When we often say, well, I feel like this. I feel like the Holy Spirit told me. I feel like God is telling me this. Um, That could be true. But oftentimes the thing that follows is very biblical. Right, like I feel like the like the Holy Spirit is telling me right now that we should go out and evangelize. Well, I don't have to feel that from the Holy Spirit. That's just what Scripture says. It, the, the Bible tells us go and make disciples of all nations. Right, First, Second Corinthians talks about that we are ambassadors of Christ. That we need to be going out, and God is making His appeal through us. 
And so I, I don't, this is where I, man, maybe I'll get myself in a little bit of trouble here, but this is where I hesitate and I go, why do I have to say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me this? Well, God has already told us. God has told us in scripture that we should go out and evangelize. God has told us that he does hear our prayers and answer them. Why do we have to start by saying, I feel a shift in the atmosphere. Some of the things you've been praying for will be answered soon. Well, yeah, that's what God tells us is that when we pray, when we call out to him, he responds and he answers prayer. And so to me, this post is not necessarily uh, wrong or heretical, like some of the ones maybe that I'll, I'll bring up that really does teach a prosperity gospel that I think is false and we need to be careful of. But this one just kind of seems like, ah, oh, man, why do we have to start it with, I feel a shift in the atmosphere? The little thing that bugs me, again, probably not a big deal, but something to think about. Just say, hey, scripture tells us that God hears our prayers. Take that as an encouragement. Right? We can stand firm upon God's word when saying those sort of things. All right, so here's where we get into some of these that really concern me. Uh, here's the next one, or another one. Before July is over, a major miracle will happen for you. Tell God thank you. Well, here's where you can, man, there's just so much. Well, what do you mean by miracle? What do you mean by major? And what about the people who have been praying for major miracles in their lives that don't take place? What about those praying for healings and aren't healed? And we'll get to that one here in a little bit. Uh, well, it, well, that it was a different major miracle. And so here's something that you can say, and but how do you actually prove it? And how do you show that this is true? And what about the people where it doesn't come true for, that are searching for God, are, are pleading God for him to do something huge in their life, and it doesn't happen before July is over? We often make these, these promises, but that we make them so vague, and we put this timestamp. I wonder if anyone, after the month of July, will write back and say, hey, I didn't experience this miracle. I don't even know exactly what that means. And so, man, it just concerns me because all these people go, okay, this Instagram feed said God will answer a major miracle. Now I'm trusting God or something. And then what happens when that doesn't come true? Rather than standing again firm on what scripture says and trusting in what God has revealed us. God never said before the month of July is over, I will do a miracle in your life. Right? God is constantly doing miracles around us. Again, we need to define what a miracle is, but that is something that, man, that really worries me and how people take this and how it can affect the way that they live and the decisions that they make. Another one of the posts is very similar. And it says, those things you prayed for are arriving this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, those things that you prayed for are arriving this week. Now, there's another post along this same line, but it is even more of a timeline, right? So here's the next one. It does not matter what you are going through. The good news is that you are coming out of it today victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I actually did comment on this one, and I said, what about the people who didn't come out of their problem that day? What would you say to them since what you said seems like a promise? Right, These people are, are, are seeming to suggest you will come out of this issue today and be victorious. Well, what about the people that don't come out of it? How do we respond to those people? Are you going to say like what often happens kind of in the prosperity movement, you didn't have enough faith? Right, if you're sick and you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. If you have issues and you don't come out of it, it's because you didn't trust God. Is that what we see taught in scripture? And it's not. It is not what we see. 
Here's what we see in scripture. We see Jesus being crucified at a young age. We see the early, the disciples, many of them being killed for their faith. Stephen was stoned, right? People got sick. When Timothy got sick, Paul said, drink water with a little wine in it. Paul never said, well, you're sick because you don't have enough faith. We don't see these things taking place in scripture where it's because you don't have enough faith that you're not coming out of your problems, Jesus wept in the garden. He prayed and saw God. And this is what we see time and time again. And so we can't sit back and say, you are going to come out of your problem today. First of all, we can't know that. It provides a false sense of hope. Instead, what can we do? We can actually offer people Jesus. We can say, look, Jesus Christ is victorious. How do we know that? He died and rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. And while he was on this earth, he performed miracles. He, he, he raised the dead. He healed the blind. And he showed himself to be in power over nature, disease, and sickness. He is a God that you can trust in. Now, what if he doesn't do a miracle in your life? That is hard. And that is where we look at reasons why God may allow evil. Obviously, when you're right in the moment of it, the reasons aren't great. They, they don't necessarily satisfy, but we can still look at God and say, God, we live in a broken world. And oftentimes, the evil and the pain and the disease and sickness around us simply helps us recognize that we are mortal beings and teaches us not to love this world. Because I, I think that if we never got sick, we never had any issues and pains in our life, then we may start to think that we're gods, that we're just going to live forever, and that we don't need God to help us. What you often find is that people who are in the lowest of lows recognize their need for a Savior. And it's a beautiful thing when we realize we need God, even in this darkness. Scripture tells us in Romans 5, 3 to 4, it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out on into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is so beautiful. This idea that, look, when we suffer, we know that this suffering is producing in us a perseverance. It is helping us continue to push on because we have to push through the issues. And when you do that, your character is built up. And I guarantee you that that those of you who are listening, you know that the, the difficult things that you have gone through in your life, when you get out of it the other side, not only are you a better for it, You have learned valuable life lessons. You have pushed through it. You can handle more difficult things in the future, but you also have grown tremendously in that process. And we understand the suffering that Jesus did for us. So this is, I think, is the example that we see in scripture. It's not that God is immediately going to take us out of every single bad situation. Today, we are going to be victorious. Well, we can be victorious in some sense in Jesus, But that doesn't mean these things like this, these posts have been saying that this week, this month, or today, your problems will be gone. You're coming out of your struggle today. No, we may still be in the struggle, but guess what? We are still victorious. That, I think, is the true message of Scripture. And that is the good news of the person of Jesus Christ. 
Now, the next one is this. You will fulfill destiny and good health and wealth in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, there is really the prosperity gospel coming out of that you will be healthy and wealthy. Now, what's sad to me is over 1,300 people like this, over 150 comments, or about 148 comments, many of them says, oh my goodness, this is so amazing. I don't want to miss these daily, daily inspiring posts, all this kind of stuff. Well, here's my question. I posted on this one as well. Again, did not get a response in return. But I said, okay, if you will fulfill destiny in good health and wealth in Jesus' name, what about the sick and the poor Christians around the world? Why aren't they healthy and wealthy? And the same could be asked. What about the persecuted church? Right and here, I think, is what is a really important point. If the gospel does not apply to all people in all cultures, it is not the true gospel. If it does not apply to all people, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people. And so if it doesn't apply to them, it's not the true gospel. You cannot say that the gospel is for the healthy and the wealthy. There are sick, persecuted Christians around the world that we should be praying for and lifting up. And I don't see how this gospel applies to them, that you will fulfill destiny in good health and wealth. Well, again, what about the people who are not healthy? What about the people who die young? How do we make sense of that? Are you going to say they did not have enough faith? Well, then did Jesus not have enough faith? (laughs) Surely we can't say that. Did the disciples not have enough faith? How do we make sense of these things? I mean, even Paul said that he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was, but there was something that was bothering Paul. Well, did he not have enough faith to be perfectly healthy? We have these issues where this simply does not even apply to Jesus Christ himself or other of the uh, others of the apostles, and it certainly does not apply to the worldwide church. We have to be careful about how we apply these truths, about how they work and how they should be functioned and understood around the world, and simply that doesn't work. Now, I could keep going. There are many more of these, but I think you are understanding the point, right? There's another video that says, you are missing what God has for you, right? And this often comes with this idea that, look, if you are not doing X, Y, and Z, the right things, then God can't reach you or can't pour out his blessing on you. And he, he's sitting there really hoping he can, uh, but you are somehow impeding his ability, right? What we see in scripture, at least when it comes to salvation, is that when God wants to speak to people, man, he speaks, Right, He shows up in powerful ways, and he is sovereign. He does his job. God is not weak, sitting back, hoping that, oh, please do this. Right, There are times that, yes, there are times that he wants to use us. There are times that he he calls upon us, and we participate in that kingdom work. But God is not dependent necessarily on me, that somehow if I don't do something, then God is stuck. Right? That is not how God works. But here's the last one I'll just mention, and then we will transition. Right? It says, an end has come to all forms of struggling in your life. God will give you double blessings for all your troubles. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, liked by over 1,700 people, over 200 comments. Um, I, I don't know what to do with this. And this is partially why I do this podcast and I want to train students is I want people to be critical thinkers. I want people to understand scripture. And the next part that we're going to talk about is understanding some promises. But to say an end has come from all forms of struggling in your life, was that a promise? 
really? Do you have the ability to say that all forms of struggle will end? Well, no, it says, well, it's, it's, it's happening in Jesus' name. Was that what Jesus promises? Does Jesus promise that all forms of struggle will stop and that God is going to give me a double blessing for all the trouble that I've gone through? Well, let's see what scripture has to say. What did Jesus actually tell us? First of all, we can look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, where it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right. If you back up, it says, uh, Paul's writing, it says, you, how, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and, and other places, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Right. If all forms of struggling end in Jesus name, then why did Jesus struggle? Why was he praying and sweating blood in the in the garden? Why was he struggling with these things? Right? I guess I should just stop here. It's kind of getting me a little bit worked up. But guys, we are surrounded by people and things online that seem very encouraging, that seem very nice, that seem biblical. But when we look at it, these, these do not match the true gospel. We need to be Christians who have our minds turned on, who not just blindly follow that which seems good because it says it in Jesus' name, but are smart, clear-thinking Christians. Right. A few months back, I did a podcast where I said, you know, we need to think critically about the things that are happening and, and about the, the conversations and the culture around us. And someone said, well, what about the, those things that are Christian? I said, absolutely. I've read devotions that are not good, that I, that I disagree with. We need to have our minds turned on so that we can see those things. Now, I want to transition to discussing what these posts are pulling from are these promises in the Bible and how we should properly understand them. But before we do, I do want to mention a few things to you. Uh, I will be leaving uh, tomorrow, actually, uh, which is a Sunday, July 28th, and I will be, uh, well, first I'm preaching at For His Glory Community Church in Fullerton, July 28th, tomorrow, on Revelation chapter 3, the Church of Laodicea. So if, again, if you're listening to this really quickly, because you only got about a day to listen, uh, but I mentioned it in the past, come on out to For His Glory Community Church in Fullerton and uh, join us for our church service starting at 9 o'clock. Right after that, though, I leave for a retreat where I'm speaking with high school students five times. I'll be talking, Is Jesus the Only Way? Why Does God Allow Evil? A Tactical Approach to Evolution, Understanding the Entertainment Culture, and then Everyone Has to Start Somewhere and in, in Showing uh, the Progression and Stages of Christian Development. Also, on August 3rd, I will be doing a live interview. It's going to be a podcast, but also an interview on Facebook Live with Tim Stratton discussing Arminianism, Molinism, and Calvinism and looking at libertarian free will and is that true or is determinism or other forms of freedom compatible. So uh, if you have questions, I mean, this is one of the big things that people always bring up is the is the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate. Uh, if you have questions or issues with that and you would like to hear a response to, please send those in. Uh, I would love to get your interaction on that. So text them in at 714-989-6927. 
You can also email them in at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. Go over to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash coffeehousequestions, or follow on Instagram and Twitter at ryanpolly 3 Also, another little quick update is uh, recently on the YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Polly. Uh, you can find some recent videos that I've uploaded there. In the last few weeks, I put up videos on is self-defense ever justified? Uh, then I posted the three responses to the claim that Jesus is a recycled, uh, a recycled myth, which is what I discussed on the podcast last week. And then now I'm talking about tips for online discussions. That's a video that I just posted. My next video is going to be on how to keep our cool and not get too upset when having online discussions. And so hopefully those are some things that sound interesting to you. And then again, Rethink Apologetic Student Conference on August 3rd, the price goes up. So make sure you sign up, get that early bird pricing for the Student Rethink Apologetics Conference so that you do not miss out. And again, get them soon because it's most likely going to sell out. It sold out last year and it's been growing every year since. So those are the updates I think I have for you, the announcements. And we're going to jump back in now to kind of some biblical principles for understanding these posts. Now, one of the things I commented and and on one of these, and again, I never got a response, is where does the Bible actually say these things? Right. And people often take promises in the Bible and we quickly apply them to ourselves. Right. So a very common one is going to be Jeremiah 29, 11. And hopefully I don't make other people upset with this one, but here is a common promise that we take. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future or a future and a hope. Right. Then we, you know, and you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Right. When you seek me, you find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Right. This sounds so wonderful because, look, it's saying that, look, I know the plans for I have for you. God has plans of hope and a future. And we love holding on to promises like this. However, if you flip right over to Jeremiah 44:11, that one says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm. To cut you off, all Judah, I will take the remnant of Judah who have set their faces to come to the land of Egypt to live, and they shall be consumed. In the land of Egypt, they shall fall by the sword and by famine. They shall be consumed from the least to the greatest. They shall die by the sword and by famine, and they shall become an oath, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. Now stop there. Actually, you can keep going. I will punish those who dwell in the land. Okay, now I'll stop there, right? But no one flips over to Jeremiah 44, 11 and, and reads this, be- this promise and says, Behold, I will set my face against you for harm and say, Look, God is going to harm me. No, we, we don't like the bad promises. We always like and take on to the good promises. So how do we understand this? Well, I want to kind of lay out in our last bit of time together is what I think that we should do with the promises of God. Now, I will admit that I probably take a very harder stance on this than some people. But I probably draw that really hard line because I've seen these taken so much advantage of. And so I probably maybe go too far, but I think it's an it's important thing to have on the front of our minds. When we read this, now this is a basic rule of biblical interpretation. When we read scripture and it says that God will do something to you, we have to ask the question, well, who's the you? And guess what? It's not me, right? So in this one, in 4411, it's easier, right? Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of the hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for harm to cut off all Judah. Well, he's speaking to Judah. He's speaking to the Israelites, right? And he is 
going to bring harm upon them because of the evil and wicked things that they have done. Right? This is the context, and we, we don't take that and go, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? God is about to harm me. However, when we look at 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, well, what's, what's going on? Well, that's me. God has plans for me. Well, no, again, this is Jeremiah. This is talking. It's a letter to the exiles, right? The, the, the exiles have been driven out of their land. They're in Babylonian captivity, and God is going to bring them back to the place. He has a plan for them. He's going to restore their land and bring them back to a place where they are from. This is the plan that God has, a hope and a future. They're not going to spend eternity forever in exile. God has this plan for them, welfare, not these sort of things. Again, he is speaking to the Israelites. Another common one of these verses is pulled out of 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, where it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Now, the context of this, again, is Solomon just finished the temple. The Israelites keep rebelling against God. They're going through kings. It's this terrible place, right? They're getting close to being destroyed or at least to have uh, this divided kingdom. And now God is saying, look, if my people turn to me, I will heal their land. How does that apply? Well, it's not talking about the land of the United States, right? But how can we understand these promises? Well, first, I always say we need to be careful because, look, If my dad promises my brother a bicycle and says, if you do this, I will buy you a bicycle when he's a kid. And then I find that letter later and I go, dad, where's my bicycle? He goes, well, that's not for you. All right. I was talking to your brother. It was something that I promised to your brother, not to you. But what can I learn from this? It does teach me the character of God, right? This does show us the mercy of God. Right? And so we can understand that when we repent of our wicked ways, that when we turn to God, God will forgive us. He is faithful and just. So where do we learn this? Well, you can turn, for example, one verse to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where this is being written to believers. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For if we say we have not sinned, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There are verses that we can turn to and we can go, look, this says if we confess as believers, when we come to God, he is faithful and just, just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness. We can look at the Psalms again for another great example. In Psalm 23, one that we all know very well. Right, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? I'll stop there. Now, here is where I think David is speaking about his knowledge of who God is. That this is, yes, David is saying, your staff comfort me. Why? Because that's who God is. Right? And we can trust that God will do the same. And so the difference here is this. Oftentimes when God makes a promise, I will do this to you, we need to ask who the you is. And we see that oftentimes it is for a specific group and he's not promising the same to us because God says, hey, I have plans for hope and a future for you, Israel. But then Jesus, or we see again in the New Testament where it says, because of you being a believer, you will be persecuted. 
right? And we obviously don't take those bad promises of the Old Testament, like in Jeremiah 44, 11. But what we do see is that when we repent, God is faithful and just, that God is a God who, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because we know that God is with us. Even in Hebrews chapter 13, written to Christians being persecuted, right, where it says in verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? These are some of those promises that we can hold on to, that we can look to. Right? We don't have to take verses out of context, like Jesus calming the storm and say, look, he's going to calm the storms of my life. No, that verse shows that there's nothing about personalizing it to my life. That verse shows that Jesus has power over nature. Now, what does that mean? Jesus is God, that he cares for us, that we see the examples of the other miracles and what we see written all throughout scripture to the believers is that God is with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and that we can trust and rest in him knowing that we are secure. Yes, difficulties are going to happen in my life. Yes, God is not going to answer every single one of my prayers because they're not all with the right intent or with the right purpose or praying for things that are valuable to him. Yes, God is not going to heal every single disease. We are going to continue going through difficult times because difficulty produces perseverance and character, and this will bless us as we look forward to eternity with Christ. But we can know that even in the difficulties that we go through, God will not leave us nor forsake us, that he is good. He has shown himself to be faithful, and we can trust on that promise to the believers, and knowing that we ultimately conquer when we go to heaven. Man, that is good news. And I hope that as we understand the true gospel, this is the gospel that can be preached to all people around the world. Well, thank you so much for listening. I know that what the things I said might have brought up a lot of questions, and so please contact me with those. But here's the point. Let us not hold on to false promises or false hopes or read things in Scripture that are not there, but trust in the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the things that God has for us. If you've enjoyed today, send it to a friend or family member. I didn't love that. But sip coffee, think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pauly. to follow your love will guide my way